We've been talking for, um, what, a whole month now on making us the designers of our own lives, of on purpose and consciously co-creating with God the lives that we want to have. And today I'm going to ask a really important question, I think. What is limiting us from experiencing really all the good? Now, we often talk, if, if you'll remember, clear back to January, I spent an entire day just talking about how big God is, right? And so we know that God is infinite in supply. Often we're used to thinking of, of God and our kind of whatever relationship we have worked out with God. But beyond that, God is infinite. It's every person, every place, everything, every situation. It's beyond the earth. It's beyond the solar system. I mean, God is everything. And so there is nothing outside of the possibility of God. And yet, how often do we measure our own good in the smallest, the smallest measures? How often do we think, well, you know, I'm, I'm earning... $12,000 a year, and, you know, that's probably the best it's going to be. Or how often do we think, well, this marriage that I've been in, you know, has its rocky moments, but, but I guess it's as good as it gets. I think a lot of the times we settle for less. Today I'm going to invite us to think big and to start off with the subject of thinking big. I even managed to find a joke about Texas. You knew it had to be Texas, right? Even though Alaska's bigger, when you think of big, it's Texas. So here we go. A Texas billionaire had fallen quite ill. The doctors that he consulted didn't really seem to be able to figure out what was the matter or solve the problem at all. They tried many things to no avail. But the billionaire made it known that any doctor that could heal him would have whatever he desired. So one day, when traveling, an old country doctor was finally able to cure him. And as the Texan was getting ready to leave the hospital, he said to the doctor, Doc, I'm a man of my word. You name it, and if it is humanly possible, I will get it for you. Well, now this was just a simple country doctor. So he said, I love to play golf. And you know what? I would love just to have a simple set of matching golf clubs. If you could get me just a set of matching golf clubs, I would be so happy. So with that said, the billionaire was off, and you know what? The doctor did not hear from the Texan for many months. One day, he gets a call from Texas. Doc, I bet you thought that I had gone back on my word. The reason it took so long is I just didn't think they matched up very well. One of them didn't have a swimming pool. Another one didn't have a very nice <laughs> restaurant. And I, ha I, had a, I had them fixed up, though, now, and the golf clubs match pretty well. <laughs> how often are we in the position of thinking within just you know what we can imagine of, of putting our good in such a small bucket in such a small container that we really can't even conceive of how much good how big infinity really is let me talk to you briefly from Ernest Holmes here Here's how he puts it. He says, We appear to measure out for ourselves carefully and assiduously the portion of life which we are going to experience. Figuratively, we may use an eyedropper, a spoon, or a bucket with which to do this measuring. Some people seem content to use an eyedropper all their lives. Others 
use the eyedropper for some things and a bucket for other things. There is no good reason why all of us should not use the larger container at all times. And he goes on to say um, later in this chapter that there are only two reasons that we don't always use the largest container possible. And we're, we're going to get there. But first, Sharon, would you be willing to... I have a theory about part of this. And um, Sharon, we have not rehearsed this. Luckily, she's my friend. <laughs> uh, but uh, but I want to try, try out my theory here in front of you all. So Sharon, would you mind answering a few questions for me? And I think we get to the bottom of this whole issue. Sure. Okay. How many children do you have? Three. Are you sure? Really? Uh-huh. And you're basing this on, like, were you at the hospital when they were born? Totally. <laughs> and you know totally that when, like, they took the baby off to be cleaned, that it was the same baby that came back? Yep. Mm-hmm. Do you even know where babies come from? <laughs> and I'm not talking about the cabbage leaf thing, because I remember when I was seven, I believed the cabbage leaf thing, but no, I'm talking about sex. So you think that sex causes babies? Among other things, yes. <laughs> and you're sure? Positive. All right. And you couldn't be convinced otherwise that you really know how many children you have and you know how they were produced? Nope. I would like to suggest that you are going simply by your own experiences of the world. That's true. Okay. Thank you. We're, 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 we're headed. We're actually, I know, the first service equally enjoyed this little talk. We did it a little something. I want to suggest to us that we take almost our entire world on faith. Let's, let's take the example of Sharon and her children. I've got to tell you, Celester Stallone is really surprised by how many children he had. <laughs> right? There are all kinds of ways that the things that we believe to be true might or might not be true altogether. I was read I mean I will admit I read a little bit on the internet too much maybe at sometimes but I was reading just the other day about literally a baby that was switched as a, as an accident in the hospital and it wasn't until this young woman in her 30s happened to end up in a sorority with someone who looked exactly like her mother and they began comparing notes and they were born on the same day in the same hospital. And I mean, what are the chances of this? But yet, we don't normally question such things, do we? Why would Sharon question how many children she had? Why would Sylvester Stallone for that matter either? But that's another story. <laughs> but really, so much of life, we totally take on faith either what other people have told us to be true, right? Or what we have learned through our own experience. Ernest Holmes says that the two things that keep us from experiencing the largest amount of our good are faith and having a mental equivalent. And let's talk about faith first. I don't think it's that we have a lack of faith. 
I think that we're kind of choosy about where we put our faith. Now, Sharon had no trouble in having faith and where her children come from and how sex works, and this fits into her experience of the world. How many things have we worked out in our own heads to have faith in that are downright chancy and weird? Think about the number of traffic-related deaths on the planet, and yet most of us get into a car without even thinking about it, right? There are all kinds of things that we choose to believe in that are healthy or not healthy, that are just random, and yet, through what other people have told us and what we believe, we believe in them. It isn't for a lack of faith that perhaps we're limiting our own ability to receive, in fact, quite the reverse. I think most of us believe that we can only receive so much. I think it is through our exercise of a certain kind of faith that we say, well, really, this is all I can deserve. With my level of education, this is probably the best kind of job I have. With the age I am right now, this is, you know, the aches and pains are inevitable. My own belief around uh, my situation on the planet in terms of education and how I look and my racial characteristics and my education levels and where I was born and, you know, the state of the economy and I could go on and the list could be long and deep, as they say. And my beliefs around it, I think, are what are keeping me right here, just the way I am. In fact, maybe that's even how I could define myself in a way is what I believe to be true about me in the world. Isn't that a good definition of who we are? And so, what I want to suggest, uh, we also talk about faith in terms of having faith in other people, like trust. What if we worked the universe like we did building trust with other people, right? Generally, when we're ending up with a best friend, it didn't start out with that way, right? We took little steps. We went out to dinner and coffee, and that worked really well. And she's really friendly, and, you know, I had a good feeling about it. So then maybe we went out to dinner or went out to a movie, right? And we increase perhaps our potential for risk as we're meeting new people and having fun with new people and developing a friendship. And maybe someday it will eventually be a good friendship. We don't, right, from the very first day that I meet someone, give them the keys to my house, right? Do you know what I mean? It's a building situation. And I want to put it that if we're to become the architects of our own life, we need to have faith in our power. We need to have faith in the absolute infinity that God is to supply us. We need to have an ever-increasing measure of faith that life is good and you'll have some part of it. And we can do it the same way that we would with creating a best friend, right? I think we can. I think we can take a little bit of risks around maybe some prayer work, around maybe uh, seeing a practitioner around an issue that's bothering us, just kind of like a small risk. And then as we develop this greater relationship with God, this greater ability to go to the infinite well with something bigger than an eyedropper, the trust will grow. Our prayers will feel more fulfilling as we're saying them. The, the sense of, um, of really being able to accept our good will feel strong in us. And as that strength increases, so our trust in, in, in putting, um, putting some of our oomph into prayer work in our spiritual life, and it will reinforce itself in the same way that our trust in everything is created. 
whether it's trusting that flipping a light switch and the lights will really come on, whether it's Sharon foolishly imagining that those babies they brought her in the hospital really were hers. But I mean, I mean we trust in all manner of things, and we, sure, we have to take a risk. And when the risks start out small, it's like no big deal. And then our encouragement, our belief in this relationship that we have with God grows. So that after a while, we're no longer thinking that my prayer is just a a wishful list. Do you know what I mean? We've probably all made those prayers that sound kind of like, uh, um, well, what I'd really like is to have a wonderful career, you know, and I really wish I could have it. (laughs) that's not the kind of prayer work that we do when we pray from a place of knowing that it is ours already when we pray from a place of confidence of faith that what i want is really already mine that's where the power is and we can build on that in the same way that we would uh, create a relationship with a new friend little by little increasing our faith increasing increasing our trust so we can do it with the universe, so that indeed we can start anticipating walking a little faster, as Linda said in her song, when we have that belief that what's coming is not, that what comes next is what I want, it's what I'm choosing. The next thing I want to talk about, the second thing that Ernest Holmes says can absolutely limit the good that we receive in our lives is the idea of mental equivalence. And he kind of uses the, um, the idea of um, faith turns on the flow and a mental equivalent is the container it's going to go into. So picture, if you would, if all we do is increase our faith, it's a little like taking a sink and turning it into a fire hose. But a fire hose is just going to, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's infinite, like stand back. It isn't necessarily going to go or do what I want it to But if you have a good mental equivalent, if in your own mind you have some clarity about what your good is, what it feels like, how it it resonates within you, how to care for it, how to to be it, then the flow of the divine has that that container, if you will, to fill in the way you want it. And so, uh, just as some examples, you may want love, you may want a long-term, permanent, loving relationship, but what does that look like to you? How does that feel if you were in it? Just wanting it is not going to assure that when it comes, it matches up with something that you're going to enjoy. You may want abundance, but what does that look like to you? Again, back to the idea of the Texas billionaire Do you want just the set of golf clubs or do you want the set of golf clubs? Because the universe doesn't care. God is that most infinite billionaire Texan, if you know what I mean. I mean, not to trivialize God, but if you can think of the Texas millionaire grown big to have the entire infinity of the universe at its disposal... So that this, this grand God and goddess of all things has the infinity in its disposal to, to be giving out freely, then do you ask for golf clubs that hang on your shoulder? Or do you want the golf clubs that you can visit in the limousine? The choice is really up to us. The supply does not change. 
Infinity doesn't change. If you approach infinity with an eyedropper, it doesn't make infinity smaller. <laughs> it's only the eyedropper that's smaller. So it truly is how we approach the thing, how we approach life, how we approach God. It's that approach and our willingness to receive whatever sized thing we're comfortable with. That's what does the trick here. I want to try something else on size for you. Picture, if you would, that there was a paper bag here that had $500,000 in it. All right? Are you picturing it? It's like a Fred Meyer nice paper bag. I open it up, filled to the top, $100 bills. I, I, I think I calculated that a paper bag with $100 bills could be about $500,000. Picture that in your mind and ask yourself, could you just take it home and spend it? Most of us, honestly, would say not. Most of us, if you opened the door on a bright Sunday morning and the, on your way to church, oh, what's this paper bag? You kind of kick it, it falls over and the money starts pouring out. Most of us would say, that's not my money. Most of us would say, well, this money belongs to someone else. Or they would say, uh-oh, I bet it's like some drug deal gone bad. If I spend that money, right, there'll be a hitman here and within three days wanting it back. Or, or they'll say, well, I could take it home, but, you know, I'm not going to spend it really for a while because I'm pretty sure I'm going to read about it in the newspaper. Do you know what I mean? There'll be a policeman at the door canvassing the neighborhood. It's not my money. How often do we do this with all manner of things? How often do we pass up business opportunities just like it's not for me? Not even giving it a second thought, not even really evaluating it very much. How often do we pass up meeting new people that could potentially be wonderful uh, best friends? How often do we pass up relationships because the last time you dated someone it was so icky? How often do we pass up the perfect job because I don't think I have the right skills to even go for the interview? I want to tell you, I love you all, and I suspect that everyone in this room, including myself, is presented with a bag of $500,000 nearly every day in some form or another and we pass it up because it's not for us. I want us to look deep, deep into our hearts and recognize the universe is unlimited in every way imaginable. The best relationship that you could ever conceive of is yours. The best living situation, the most beautiful house, the, the grandest neighborhood is yours. The greatest job, the, the most passionate um, of, of exercises and, and uh, um, uh, events are there for you, for your choosing. All of it is yours. The infinite is that billionaire from Texas that has nothing better to do than to give you everything if you can accept it. If you can come to the table with something bigger than that smallest little spoon, you will get more.
So I'm going to end with a little bit of homework today. And I think it'll be fun. The faith part of it, I think I've already given you enough clues about how you can expand your faith. Begin trusting more in your own creative power with God. That's how you expand your faith. You start out with prayer. You start off with some affirmations. As you begin to see them coming true in the world, you begin that training wheel process of knowing that as you pray, knowing that as you trust in your own power with God to create things through your thoughts, through your intentions, through your actions and your deeds, that through all of these things you can make a difference, you will begin growing, and that's how your faith increases. But let's talk for a minute about mental equivalence, because that's really my source. I think of some fun homework this week. What I'd like to suggest that you do is take three things, either things or experiences, that you'd really like to have in your life. So think of things or experiences that you'd really like to have in your life, three of them, and I'd like you to come up with a complete picture of what that would be like. Now, some of you I know like to do journals. Maybe you want to just exhaustively write out in your journal what some special relationship would be like. Uh, Imagine, if you will, maybe something you want to experience is really having a best friend. What would that look like? What would the characteristics of a best friend would be like? How would it feel when you were out having fun with that person? Or maybe you're just in a coffee shop just talking with them. Do you know what I mean? Maybe you'd go on a vacation together and the feelings of, uh, of intimacy and just uh, strength and commitment to one another. Detail all that out. What would it feel like? What would it look like? What would you do together? How would it be? Some of you I know aren't journalers, but maybe you um, like to do things uh, more graphically. Uh, take a big piece of paper and either with a, a crayon or, uh, or felt markers or whatever, or maybe cutting out pictures of a magazine, build a picture of something that is that mental equivalent. Maybe there's a house you always wanted to live in or a, or a neighborhood that you thought would be just wonderful to live in. You could pictorially come up with that mental equivalent with magazine pictures and a glue stick. Do you know what I mean? It's like you could cut and paste all the pieces that would make the perfect living situation. And then you can just look at it and even feel what it would be like to walk in that door. You could feel how fun it would be to make a, make a meal in that gourmet kitchen or, or to sleep so peacefully in that beautiful bedroom. Do you know what I mean? And this is how we build mental equivalence. We might do it in writing. Another way to do it, which I think is really quite fun, is find a friend of yours who's willing to reciprocate, and you can orally describe what that perfect relationship is or that perfect boss is, and give it some detail, and then for your friend, be the witness Uh, to the other side of that equation. So they can tell you something in their life that they would really like to experience and come up with that full mental equivalent of what it would be like, how it would feel, how it would sound, how it would taste and the touches and all the sensations that go with it. Now, I've had the question before, and this makes sense. Well, aren't I building myself up to have false expectations? And I don't think so. Because what I know is, it's true, we're used to using the eyedropper. So at first, even with a grand mental equivalent, if I go to the well and I'm using an eyedropper, it may not fill that picture up all the way. So instead of the Cadillac, maybe you're going to get the 10-year-old Volkswagen. But you know what? 
I don't, wouldn't necessarily look at that as disappointment. I'd go, oh my God, I got a Volkswagen. It just, you, do you know what I mean? So think of it as a stepping stone. If, you're, if your full plan, your full vision for greatness and beauty isn't achieved quite yet, and, and it's likely not to be, honestly, because our process of growing faith will take some steps, I think, for most of us. So instead of an eyedropper, maybe the next time you go to the well, it's with a spoon, but it's still not the bucket. And that's okay. Having the dream as big as possible is still important. And you'll be able to see it as it fills up. And it may not fill up in an instant, although it might. For some people, it can. Some people literally can have an epiphany around their faith and around a mental equivalent, and suddenly it's like night and day in an instant. And that's what I'm going to hold to be likely for each person in this room. But if not, it isn't a source of disappointment. Know that the dream still will be filled up, even if you do have to go with it at an eyedropper at a time, and that will help build your faith so that the eyedropper gets bigger and bigger until it's a cup, and then it's a gallon, and then it's the bucket, and then it's the fire hose. This is what I know for each person in this room. I'm going to close with a quote from Ernest Holmes here. Here he's talking about that idea of mental equivalence and and sometimes how it might start slow. He says, in using the idea of mental equivalence for our new design for living, we must first draw the complete plans for the structure of our entire experience. Then that structure becomes built under the guidance of our own faith. Too often we are prone to encounter the structure of our experience and then laboriously attempt to draw a plan of what it's like. So what he's saying here is often we do the reverse. We wait to see what life gives to us and then we plan on that being the best it's going to be instead of the other way around. He says this is like walking backwards. He says turn around, face where we are going and plan the next step. The fact that our foot might be in a mud puddle now need not concern us because we can simply choose to step into higher ground. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe. It is this infinite thing that I call God. The infinity of the universe, every person, every place, everything, every situation, every planet, the infinity of matter, the infinity of love and light and joy and peace, all of it is God. Limitless supply, available to all. It is the nature of God itself. And because I'm a part of that, I know it means me. I know that my life is built on thinking big. I know that my life is accepting right now the full measure of infinity, all my good, all my joy, all my love. All of it is for me now. I accept it. I know it's true. It is me. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room, that each person here has each day a greater willingness to go to the well of the infinite with a bigger container to recognize that each person here has dreams that need not be stifled or measured down. Those dreams are good. They are the new design for living, and each person here shall begin filling those designs fully. There is a sense of ever-increasing faith, and I know that each person here participates in both the faith and the mental equivalent to bring about the lives they truly desire. And I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for God showing up in the form of each person in this room, grateful in knowing the infinity of good that is God. 
And so I simply let it be. I release this prayer into the action, into the activity of the law itself, knowing God says yes. I let it be, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. Thanks so much for being here.